0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Write or Die Show. I'm your host, Randy Lee Bosla. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking to Charlene Madden. She is another lovely Canadian author um, who grew up in the same province as me. It's so exciting. She not love here more though, so I don't know. she went to where it's cold. Anyways, hit that like and subscribe button right now. Share these episodes out. We have such an important message to share with everybody, so make sure that you're sharing them out to all of your friends and family um Let's spread this message. Let's try to end this stigma of my mental health together. How are you?
1: I am awesome. Thank you for having me.
0: So, as uh, me and Charlene were just talking quickly here, I found out that she was born and raised. How far is that from here? Like two and a half, three hours ish, I think, depending on traffic. And how fast you go. Um, but now she's out in, in cold, cold BC. Um, I could never live there. I like being. Southernly Canada, <laughs> oh. so I love talking to my fellow Canadians. I love talking to everybody, but you know, special place in my heart is Canadian. We gotta can stick together. No, I'm just kidding, sort of. Um, so tell us a little bit about who you are
1: yeah well as you said my name is Charlene Madden I am a speaker motivational speaker I am a women's empowerment coach I am an author I am a mom of three absolutely amazing children and um I am just out there living my best life right now I'm turning 50 so I am uh thank you yeah so I am just um I'm just getting excited about where life is taking me right now. So it's uh, it's exciting.
0: That is exciting. How old are the kids?
1: Uh my oldest daughter is gonna be 29. Then I have a 25-year-old and a 22-year-old. So
0: oh my uh
1: freedom. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right
0: now, so. No wonder mm-hmm. you're you're a proud mom. Cause I mean, not that I don't love my kids, but Pains in my
1: butt, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, all right, so as everybody knows, of course, we're going to be talking about some mental health. So, Charlene, you tell us your story from wherever the beginning most makes sense for you.
1: Yeah, my story really starts when I was young. Um, I was born in uh, a city called Owen Sound, Ontario, and oh, uh, it's
0: real cold there.
1: Yep. And I grew up in a small town just north, uh, south of that. And um, my early childhood was not great. And I think far too many people can resonate with it. I came from a broken home. My parents had uh, divorced. My father was a really severe, violent alcoholic. And at three and a half, I went to go live with my grandparents. And my grandmother was an absolutely amazing woman, super strong. I thought she was Really far ahead for her time. I mean, she believed that women should get a good education, uh, get a good job, not depend on men. And she really drilled those lessons into our heads. Nice. And, um, and my grandfather, unfortunately, was a pedophile. So <gasps> at three and a half, I started experiencing, along with my sister, uh, sexual abuse at his hands. And that went on for Probably nine years, nine and a half years before everything came out. So it was almost a decade long of abuse. So
0: I'm just trying to wrap my head around being taken away from parents because they're not very good, and put with an amazing person. Except actually, super horrible situation.
1: Uh mm-hmm. yeah, huh. Did your
0: grandmother was... know?
1: Um, that's a great question that I don't know the answer to, because my grandmother has passed on at this time. Do and maybe I think it's she, better to not? Know. Yeah, I mean, I think she may have had uh, an inkling of something going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, as part of my healing process, and accepting grace into my life, I understood that everybody involved in this situation was doing the best they could with the tools that they had at the time. Yes. Well, so that's, uh, that's part of my forgiveness cycle that I went through. It's like hey, whether she knew or not really doesn't, it doesn't affect anything for me. So it's
0: true. Yeah. yeah. Um, so something I always say when people talk about forgiveness uh, is that forgiveness is not about saying that what the person did to you is okay, because it is never okay to do what your grandfather did. However, forgiveness is saying, I'm not letting that define me anymore. I am not letting that have power over me anymore. You know what? You were you, but you have no bearing in my life anymore.
1: Peace out. Absolutely. I I say it's like holding on to that is, and I've heard the analogy lots, it's drinking poison and expecting the other person to die, right? Because it, it impacts your life. And most of the time, the people that you're holding, you know all these anger and and resentment about and with, they haven't they've moved on with their life. It's not impacting them. So you've exactly. got to, like you said, take that power back. So
0: yeah, they they could care less about it. yeah. so wh- why are you staying grumpy and hurting? Right. Yes Um, yeah. I just always like to to say that on the episodes because, Forgiveness is such a hard concept for a lot of people, especially I'm going to say teenagers because that's mm-hmm. my kid is always going, but they did. And what? And I'm like, okay, but it's not about them. It has nothing mm-hmm. to do with them. They got issues. This is about you. Yeah. You're healing. So I always like to say that every episode that somebody says the word forgiveness,
1: because
0: yeah. <laughs> it's a really important message. Absolutely. Okay. So that was going on. So now you're like, what,
1: 12-ish? Yeah. yeah, 12 and a half, 13 when it all came out. And, uh, you know, we're talking the early 80s when all of this came on. So a lot of stuff just kind of got, you know, swept under the carpet. There was no real counseling. There was no therapy, nothing like that. And again, with my grandmother being the type where she felt like, okay, be strong, independent, just put your head down and mm. go. I think she thought that if we just moved on from it, we'd be okay, which really after experiencing that kind of trauma, no, you need to deal with it. So yeah, um, I went into high school and really early on started dealing with uh, mental health struggles. I got extremely depressed, Mm -hmm. started, you know, cutting myself as a way of expressing all of this emotion that was built up inside of me and uh, it had no outlet. So it had to come out one way or the other Yeah. And I I, right around that same time, though, I also discovered writing um, as a way of outlet for emotion. Um, I'd always loved sharing stories. And I think the biggest part for me, um, I always wanted to be a writer as a kid, I wanted to be a journalist, I wanted to travel the world, tell tell other people's stories. And I think it really stemmed from not feeling like I had a voice as a child, So being able to write and tell other people's stories or, um, encapsulate your own stories, but in, as Mm -hmm. someone else, it's a way to express all those emotions that you're feeling. So for me, writing just was always so prevalent in my life. Yes. Um, and once I got into high school, it was my, my coping mechanism. And I always said it was, um, I either poured ink onto paper or blood, it was one option or the other at that time, so
0: that is literally how I describe my writing. So yeah. my my first book, Thoughts of a Wanderer, it's a compilation of all my poems that I wrote as a teenager. Because I don't want to throw them out, so I'm like, eh, I'll put them in a book. And that's really how I was like, okay, I can do this author thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and those poems, they are dark, real dark. They literally talk about cutting, killing myself. Um, what it would be like to not be here anymore, drowning, dropping out and from this, like going into a deep, dark pit. Like I totally get what you're saying because by doing that, by writing it out, I didn't have to do it to myself.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's just an immersion, emotional purge. Yeah. Right? At the time you're just getting it, you know, dumping just word dumping is amazing sometimes so and that was the same for me it was all it was mostly poetry but of Poetry's course great you're you're you write that kind of stuff though and especially in high school and I don't know about you but it really drew attention when I was in school
0: um I hid it people did not like it wasn't mm-hmm. stuff that I would ever hand in to the teachers well I shouldn't say never I did write this story about a horse. So the whole assignment was an imagery assignment. You had to find a picture, and then write an imagery thing about it. So I found a picture of a horse because I But the whole story was actually about how this horse was going on to death. Mm. Um, I think because it matched the assignment and the picture and everything, it didn't get called out. Mm. But um, I probably maybe should.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah for me i mean i i submitted because that was all i was doing for writing anytime i had a chance i was it was all poetry that i wanted to write and and short mm-hmm. stories and of course they were all characters who were like you were saying that are either suicidal depressed in yeah. dark spaces so for me it ended up getting me yanked into um guidance counselor's office and and meeting with a school psychologist which and, maybe was uh, a good thing yeah, Maybe. Well, not not really, because it was a, you know, again, it just echoed the the lack of follow up care that I experienced because it was, were
0: you in Ontario for high school? Yes. Mm, uh, I don't think yeah. it's changed much.
1: Yeah. And it was just a, you know, four hours of doing questionnaires and quizzes and talking. And then it was like, okay, we're diagnosing you as manic depressive bipolar. And I basically have a great day. If you need help, come talk to us.
0: Yep, has it changed at like, all? Yeah.
1: And yeah. I was like, the last thing I want to do is talk about any of this stuff that I'm experiencing. I just yeah. want to pretend it didn't happen. So, yeah. so that's kind thanks of for what bringing I did. Thanks, guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, thanks for labeling me again because I don't have enough already. Right. right so, yeah.
0: Yeah. It has yeah. not
1: changed at all here. Um, yeah. All
0: they do is talk to you a little bit and then give you a diagnosis and go, okay yeah, we're not actually going to help you try and feel better or fix the problem. But now you have a word.
1: Yeah, like a, a word for me, me it was it was the don't worry, you're going to be OK. Like, I mean, I heard that from a social worker when the abuse came out and then I heard it from the school psychologist. And I was like, I really wish adults would quit telling me what OK that I'm going to be OK, because number one, I don't even know what that looks like. I've never felt I've never felt okay so how do I know what okay is so that's such a good point actually because
0: like that is what they say and when I in in my one book I said write a letter to your younger self and I did I did three stages in my life and most of the messages were it's going to be okay Mm -hmm. because it's really hard to explain how it's going to be okay but If I was to look back at my younger self, I can say confidently, you will be okay. Life Mm -hmm. is going to get better. I can't explain how or why, but like, it's going to happen, but it wasn't an easy process at all. There there was a lot of therapy. There was a lot of darkness. There was medications. There was you know, it was a really lifelong process that I'm still going through, Mm -hmm. but at least like in my book as a letter to myself. So like, I understand myself when it's other people telling you who don't understand and you haven't lived a life where you can understand that you can come out the other end. Like as a teenager, you could not possibly tell me things were going to be okay. Right. Because if you've never known, like you said, if you've never known what okay is. What the hell does that mean? Yeah. It means nothing. It's worse.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. I don't think unless you've experienced it as well. Like I remember. Um, I was in my forties when I was sitting in a room with a a psychiatrist and, you know, going, okay, I know why I messed up. I know, like I have looked at my life. I understand what's gotten me here. How do I get better? Mm -hmm. Right. And just being, you know, the type of person that's like, give me a list of things to do. I want to do this, 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 so I can get better and having her and saying, so what did you do? Like, what did you do to deal with your mental health struggles? And having her eyes glaze over and look at me and go, well, Charlene, I've never experienced mental health struggles. And you sit there and you go, then how can you possibly tell me that you, number one, understand what I'm going through and what I'm experiencing? Because unless you've been there, you can't understand a hundred percent. You can go, okay, you know, you can have compassion for what someone's going through, but you can't understand it a hundred percent unless you've experienced it.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's not to say that she wouldn't have good tools to give you. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Like they, they have good tools, whether or not they've experienced it, but yeah, saying, I get it. You don't, you don't. Yeah. It. Okay. So I want to go back a little bit to cutting because I know there's some people who watch the show that that's a really hard thing that they're struggling with. Mm-hmm. And so I know that you said that, um, writing helped you to be able to maybe like release that energy in a different, more productive and positive way. But what led you to cutting or why did you really start? I know it's a hard one, it's a hard question.
1: Again, it was trying to find that emotional release because feeling the physical pain would overwhelm the emotional pain because the emotional pain is so... It's excruciating. It's so all encompassing when you're experiencing it. And, you know, by cutting, I was able to like take the focus off of that emotional pain and have it, you know, feel it in my body, rather than just completely like, because you feel like your heart, your soul, everything is in so much pain that being able to cut was able to draw. It's almost like you draw your attention away from what's going on emotionally. So
0: it's like when people say, Oh, I stub my toe out. Okay. Let me hit you on the other foot. Then you won't feel it. it exactly.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah. So yeah. how did, did people know that you were cutting or mm. were you pretty good at hiding it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. How'd no, you hide I, was, it? I made sure I cut in locations that no one would see, but me, you know, so yep. upper thighs, hips, uh, ch- uh lower chest there, like wherever I could do it, no one would see. I was also a real, I was a tomboy. So yeah. I could justify, you know, like, oh, I scraped myself when I was dirt, you know, not dirt biking, mm. but BMXing, you know, like I could yeah. I would try to slough it off as as being, you know, just accidental and stuff. So
0: okay, so you get, yeah.
1: You, you get pretty sneaky when you're dealing with that kind of stuff. So
0: yeah. So from somebody who is friends with a person who is cutting, but they don't know it what kind of signs might they be able to look out for?
1: I think it's like any, um, any emotional thing they're going through, whether it's depression, cutting. Um, if you've noticed a change in someone's behavior where you notice that they're really withdrawing inward because that's how I was. I was you know, stuck so much inside of myself um so yeah watching to see people you know the standards that they say showing less interest in the things that that they used to be interested in um but just being you know aware of if you see them on a summer day and they're wearing a long sleeve shirt and you ask them hey do you want to borrow a t-shirt and they say no um I actually had a friend bring her granddaughter over And her granddaughter, it was just that scenario. Her granddaughter was in long sleeve shirt. And I was like, Do you want to borrow a t-shirt? You know, like you gotta be sweating. And she's like, No, I'm good. Mm -hmm. And then her grandmother pulled me aside and said, Hey, could you talk to her because she's cut herself and I don't know how to, you know, I don't know what to say to her. And I was like, Wow, you know, it had it resonated with me on the, you know, yeah, I'm in jeans in the middle of summertime because you know, you're trying to hide it so
0: so what can somebody say in that situation
1: I think just sitting down and you know what's going on it, and it's hard because you really have to have a rapport with that person um, you know mm-hmm. if you're just if you don't have that relationship built they, there's got to be a sense of of trust and knowledge that you know it, it's safe for them to talk to and sometimes sometimes that means that you know, if you have that conversation, you can't go run and, you know, say something to, you know, a parent, if it's not your own child. But um, of course, if you're fearing for their lives, you have to say something. But but, um, being able to build that rapport and that sense of trust. And again, if you've experienced it, sharing and being open about your experiences, which I find as a parent, um, sometimes we want to hide the darkness that we've gone through as, mm-hmm. as a parent, we want to shield them and protect them from all the bad things that are going on in life. But yeah, we need to be honest because we don't know the struggles that our kids are going through, mm-hmm. you know? So being able to be open and vulnerable with your own struggles. And I find this with the women that I work with all the time because they want to, you know, they want, they don't want their kids to know how difficult of a time they're having. And I'm like, no, your kids need to know. Yeah. Like your kids that need was- to know.
0: That was a big reason for this show actually so um my kid is now 15 and oh years ago so he he attempted suicide multiple times starting at the age of nine and i'm not sharing anything that he wouldn't share so it's okay um because he has learned from me and my example that we need to speak up about it or else we can't get help for ourselves and we can't help other people so the one day we were sitting, it, it was really late at night, and he was just he was crying and crying, saying, why do I feel this way? Why do I want to die? I should just die. And up until that point, I had tried to hide my own issues or past and went and all that. Just like what you were saying, right? As parents, mm-hmm. I don't want them to know that stuff. It's, it's none of their business. Mm-hmm. And to an extent, that's true. Like, I'm not going to tell him absolutely everything that happened because... And none of his business. But what is his business is knowing that it's okay to not be okay. Knowing that it's okay to be depressed, to feel like you want to die, but continue to live. Knowing that it's okay to talk about it and get help and reach out. Knowing that you don't have to hide it. Mm -hmm. That moment in time is forever etched in my head. Um, cause I remember sitting on the couch. I remember that the freezer was in this spot. It's moved over there now. Like the, the lights were off except for one. And I just, I felt like a horrible parent. And I was like, I haven't made it clear that it's okay to be different. I haven't made it clear that we all struggle and sometimes life really freaking sucks, Yeah. but we can ask for help and it's okay to do that. And i was like how have i failed in that way this is not okay (laughs) so that's Um... when i really started um talking about it more and wanting to to be more open so that he understood and from that from that example he is much more open and he is trying he tells other people you know um his story a little bit and especially around panic attacks he's really really likes talking about panic attacks because people just don't understand them. And yeah. personally, I don't either. I've never had a panic attack, but I've seen him have them multiple times and I'm like, damn. Okay. I'm like, this is whew, all right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that is so important that we make sure that they are in an environment where they feel safe enough to talk to us.
1: Absolutely.
0: And we share as much as you're comfortable with, right? Like never mm. ever share something when you're not comfortable, when you're not ready. Cause we're all, in a different process in our healing journey. Like n- I would never tell somebody, hey, you got to tell everything, all right, this moment. Like, <laughs> no, 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 right. <laughs> you, you have to be ready for that. Yeah. And it's okay if you're not. And it's okay if you want to share lots, like everybody's different, but got to make everybody feel safe enough to be okay to open up when they're ready.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And like you said, it's a, we, we hold so much stigma around it. Right. Especially, oh. you know, and we emotionally and mentally feel isolated when we're experiencing this. Mm-hmm. So to have that connection with someone else that actually can say, Hey, I understand what you're ex- like, I understand what you're going through. Yeah. You know, even if it's not the exact same 100%. You know, maybe someone hasn't experienced the trauma I have, but, yeah. you know, being able to have someone who sits down with me and says, Hey, I struggled too, you know, and, and like what you said about not having to be okay. I love that. And that's the one thing like I will preach till my dying day is like, we have this perception, especially as women that we have to have it all together, that we have to be okay all the time. And it's like, it's okay to not be okay. And we have to embrace that. So.
0: Exactly. So how did you stop cutting?
1: I started drinking.
0: Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) No. One bad coping.
1: Yeah. Strategy. Oh, yeah. Another it was another uh, bad
0: coping strategy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was. It was just moving from one bad coping strategy to the next. And I mean, and I even cut into my forties. Like, yeah. I mean, I had, yeah. you know, I had when I was kind of hitting my rock bottom, where I was extremely suicidal in my forties. Um, it was, you know, a situation where it was one or the other option. It was either I was going to end my life or I was going to cut because it was, I needed to purge all that, that pain. So Mm -hmm. it, uh, and just being able to now, um, you know, over the last five years, really dig in and do, do the work to understand that, yes, there's better coping skills to Mm -hmm. it. And now it's to the point where if I'm ever feeling that urge, I just go book a tattoo appointment.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. There you go. Yep. I know I got one, got my first one when I was 17. I'm like, that's it. I'm good. Never need another one. Now I have five, which I know is not a lot compared to some people, but it was a lot for me who, for a long time, said I would never get one
1: of those. I'm at 20. Uh,
0: Exactly. Everybody's different. But to me, five, I was like, oh my gosh, I got three
1: now. Yeah.
0: Okay. And what I love about your story, well, I mean, it's a sad love, but what I love is that you're able to say I was an adult and I was still cutting Mm -hmm. because when we think of cutting as a society, as a whole, I think um, this is an assumption. I think that we think about teenagers, only ever teenagers, teenagers are the only ones that cut. And that's not true. Teenagers are the ones we hear about, Mm -hmm. but if you cut as a teenager, that is a coping strategy that you have become accustomed to. And therefore, why would it end when you're an adult, if you have yet to deal with the trauma and find better coping strategies? Yeah. So how did you hide that from your kids? And those are again, it's
1: it's you become um, what I find with mental illness. And when you're suffering is that you you get really good at hiding. Um, Mm -hmm. Whether it's wearing a mask that no one knows what you're going through or, you know, again, like my cutting was always in locations where no one was ever going to see because at the time, um, I had just actually had an ex partner who I'd been 13 and a half years in a relationship that was um, a violent relationship domestic Mm -hmm. violence and um, he we had separated and then two and a half months later he committed suicide. So I was again, dealing with all these emotions. So I didn't have anybody around that I had to really worry about other than my, my teenager kids. And at that point they were in their own, you know, yeah. stuff anyway. So, but, uh, you get really good at, at hiding things. That's why you gotta be super present with the people that you're with so that you can really, you know, see them for what they're experiencing. So, yeah.
0: All right. So when did you finally find some positive coping strat- strategies?
1: It was, um, I was actually two days away from ending my life. I um, had set a date. Uh, this was shortly after my ex-partner had committed suicide. It was, I was about six months after that, um, maybe eight months. I had just kind of reached my breaking point where I was emotionally, I couldn't deal with it. And my depression was so bad that I decided I was going to end it. And then I got invited to go to a woman's workshop that I didn't want to go to well, at of course all. Not. Um, and it was the weekend before I was ending my life on Monday because everybody knows Monday sucks. So, what better day to end your life than a Monday, yeah, in my sure. mind? Um, and the workshop was the Saturday, Sunday prior. And, uh, I went to this workshop as a favor to a friend of mine because okay. she said she wanted to go, but didn't want to go alone. And of course my priority had always been other people. So I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I'll go with you. Yeah. And, um, and I heard three stories that Saturday afternoon that absolutely changed my life. It not just changed my life. They saved my life. And, um, it was that afternoon that I made a decision that I was going to live that yeah. I was in it for, for whatever it was, life was going to bring for me. Mm-hmm. Suicide was, was off the table. And it was just the experience of hearing other people who were going through what I was going through, who, or who had gone through what I had was going through, I should say.
0: Yeah. And,
1: um, and again, feeling that connection and not feeling alone, and understanding in that moment that maybe there was a greater purpose to everything I had experienced. And that was to share it in hopes of, of giving hope to someone else. So my new coping mechanism just became throwing myself into doing the healing work, like getting really, um, Getting radically honest with myself, which is what I, oh, I my, like clients, that. You know, my clients. When they walk in, I'm like, "Hey, they all know it's a radical honesty zone. It's like there's no bullshit with me. It's like let's I get like it. own own your stuff. I mean, we mm-hmm. we can't keep pointing fingers at everybody else. So self responsibility, self acceptance, yeah. and uh, self yeah, self honesty. I love
0: that. Yeah, yeah, that's. That's pretty amazing. And to think that if it wasn't for your friend needing somebody to go with, it would have ended very differently.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I showed up to that workshop with my hunting rifle in the back seat of my car. Oh, shit. Yeah. Wow. It was, you know, I just was in my mind. I had two days to get through and it fit because I thought this is perfect. I can just go in here, pretend that I'm okay. No one will suspect anything. Yeah, so none fit, of them really know you much. that pattern of, you know, pretending like I was okay. So
0: that, yeah. that's very close, very close call. Mm-hmm. So thank you to that friend mm-hmm. who needed somebody to go with. And thank yes. you for those, for those ladies that were sharing their story. And that's again, another reason that this show is so important because somebody somewhere is going to hear your story and go, okay. I'm going to, I'm on put this down. I'm going to go be radically honest with myself now. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, all right. So what, um, what's some of your favorite coping strategies, positive coping strategies?
1: Um, I love just, I love journaling, you know, again, writing is, is a great way to just, um, brain dump, you know, because we get so stuck in our heads and it's the, the thoughts and the messages that's churning around there, which is most of the time is just bull um, being able to just purge it and dump it out and put it on paper and not, you know, a lot of the times when I started doing it, you know, cause I'd every morning I would write for five minutes and just dump out all the thoughts that I had about the previous day and the upcoming day. And then I wouldn't read it. I would never go back and read it because I found mm-hmm. that when I went back and read it, I was judging it. Right. Cause ah, I you know, yes, yes. We get so judgy with ourselves. So it's like, I just started to, to not for the first, you know, months just write and not go back and read it. And then I started to go back and read it and started looking for the patterns because you start to see patterns of what reoccurring thoughts that you're having. And then yes. once you see the, that pattern, that's where, you know, you need to spend the time doing the work. Mm-hmm. So if you're, you know, feeling, if you're dealing with some self-esteem stuff, it's like, okay, so what can I do where, you know, what work can I do to to work on that to build up that area? So and I have goats. So for me, they're like emotional support animals. So. Oh my goodness. I love to awesome. come home. I love to surround myself with animals and you know, mm-hmm. and that's uh, so find find one thing that you, you enjoy doing in your day and make sure that you do that every day. Yeah. Find something you enjoy. So
0: oh I love that. All right. So what have you written? It's, it's got to be good, I think, because your story is good, so'
1: it's- well, that's funny, because um when I went to that workshop um, that saved my life, I made a decision to I kind of did what you did. I took that poetry that I had written, and I thought, I'm going to publish that because i I realized how much I had let fear control my life. Yep. and I was so worried about people judging me through my writing because you know it was me in complete dysfunction most of that writing and I thought you know what pouring myself out on these pages and putting myself out there so raw like with my chest ripped open it's like this is me and if I'm gonna be me in the real world I've got to put myself out there so I self-published that book of poetry and um I've got a couple kids books that I've written and I'm just working with an illustrator on now and I'm working right now on my um my memoir my my uh my book about my life story so that's the one yes and it my um my phone number growing up in the little town I grew up in in Durham was 369-2022 so (laughs) I was like what better year to publish my memoir and tell my story about where I came from where I am than 2022 so that's my goal is to have that uh, is to have that book out this year I love it
0: that's so cool so where do people pick up uh the poetry and the kids books kids books I'm oh wait you're still illustrating yeah
1: I'm still waiting on the the final stuff from the illustrator so those will be on Amazon um my poetry book because I published it for me I didn't sell it public put it on any sites but you can find it on my website I know right (laughs) so but you can't find it on my website so it's available for purchase there so
0: well, if you're going to put it for purchase there you might as well put it for purchase other places come on
1: oh I know let's do it I know <laughs>
0: um and what is your website
1: uh ascension wellness studio is my where I do all my coaching through my card readings tarot readings work and stuff like that so and I um, get it on there
0: wonderful and where else do people follow you Uh,
1: of course on facebook that's my i'm old so that's my standard my go-to so uh charlene madden speaker and author on facebook i do run a women's workshop once a year and it's called ignite your life that's my logo back there oh my goodness so um i'm a personal trainer too
0: and my personal training business is called ignite awesome wanted to share that I, lo- I love I love the it, word. Have you got a
1: phoenix? Because that's you know that's me. It's the phoenix. No, it's
0: it's a burning
1: dumb dumbbell or kettlebell. Sorry, burning kettlebell. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. So follow follow my workshop on Facebook. Ignite your life BC and uh, touch touch base. And I always like to throw a message out whenever I'm doing a podcast that um, if anybody's feeling in a really dark spot and you're feeling super alone, like you don't have anybody to talk to or anybody that'll understand what you're going through please message me on Facebook. Um, I am available 24 hours a day, seven days a week to sit with you virtually. Um, Yeah, because I don't want anyone to feel alone like I did. So please reach out if you just need someone to talk to. I'm there, so.
0: Perfect. And we're going to stick the link so that you can check out Charlene's stuff in the description below. Um, And uh, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your story with us. Um, And I'm so glad that you're where you're at today because you're pretty amazing.
1: Thank you. And thanks for having me. Thanks for doing the platform. It's awesome.
0: Yes, you're welcome. Awesome conversation. Again, hit up her links down in the description below. Give her some love. Follow her. She's got some pretty cool stuff coming out. I look forward to that memoir coming out, especially since I have a little snippet of your life, but I'm sure there's so much more that's going to go into that book. So much more. If you want to support the channel, check out our merch store. 10% of the proceeds goes back to the Canadian Mental Health Association. And remember, the only way to end the stigma of mental health is to speak openly and honestly.